Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers, and I really hate that Bradley doesn't ever release the stupid try-to-make-me. You know what it reminds me of, Bradley, when you do that? What? Have you ever seen backstage footage of, like, a Broadway show? And the actors are on stage doing something very serious. And then you have the ones waiting in the wings who are like trying to make them crack yes. on stage. This is what ha- This is what you do when you record the bit that you're going to dub <laughs> over. <laughs> you're trying to make me crack. Uh, and uh, some of the things you say, I'm like, oh my God, Bradley. <laughs> I, and like, I want to respond to it on the air, but there's no content. I hate you so fucking much. I love I it. really do. It's been a busy week for us. I know. We have been, uh, we were shadow banned on TikTok. That was fun. It was a nightmare to figure out. That's for sure. Oh my God. Like TikTok, just tell us what the offending content was. Yes. It's so, so annoying. We can remove it. So for, for the uninitiated, I had to Google this and learn it. So now you also have to learn it. Uh, If you release content on TikTok that somehow flags the algorithm, what TikTok can do is it can do what's called a shadow ban, where it essentially removes your content from the main page, essentially, or your followers from being able to see when you post new content that's called a shadow ban because they don't actually tell you you've been banned you just stop getting views on videos all of a sudden so we had to spend our week trying to figure out why we're suddenly not getting any views on our videos it was a mess i mean we got it fixed I mean, it went from like, I mean, we average ish around 300 or so views. 300, per, 400. Right. Except when it's my face. Right. Like TikTok, the algorithm really loves <laughs> my fucking dumb gay face right. for some reason. But no, it is the animations that yes. I work for roughly an hour and a half to two hours per animation to get done. <laughs> they don't want to show them to anybody. Right. Fucking fine. Whatever. I'm not mad about that in the slightest. So from what we can tell, um, we posted a video on TikTok talking about uh, Dank Farrick, the swear word uh, in (laughs) Star Wars. And for some reason, I mean, we cannot, I watched that TikTok 30 fucking times. And literally the only, the only thing I can think of is the reason why it was the flagged was because of the very, 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 very end of the TikTok. You say the word fuck, but that's literally not I against the rules the to swear. I said the word fuck in other TikToks, that's too. That doesn't make any sense. And like, like literally, it, I'm telling you, that's the only offense I can think of. The only thing. And that's not even uh, against their rules. So it makes no sense as to why Dank Farrick TikTok was the one that was doing it. I genuinely can't tell because once I deleted it, the second, the not the most recent one, we or the most recent one we posted got normal amount of views. So yeah. I actually need to like check because fine. I need to check because I need to see if it was on someone's for you page because that's how you can tell if you've been unshadow banned because right now it has about 280 views. So I'm looking at the which data. is normal for us, you know, a, a day after a right. day or two after we post something that's perfectly so, normal. Yes. 
uh, as of right now, I can see that we're on the for you page. So that means we have been unshadow banned. So it's yeah, it is wild. Um, I don't There's, understand. I have some alternate theories. Uh, for whatever reason, it's it's possible that like it may have been the LGBT hashtag that we use yeah. on the well, video, which too. is super fucking a problem. Yeah. If the LGBT hashtag by itself flagged the TikTok algorithm to say, well, we're going to remove you. Like what the actual fuck. TikTok? Right. And the, and the only reason why I think that that was possible is because back during the Black Lives Matter um, time uh, in 2020, they, people were hashtagging their TikToks with BLM and they were getting shadow banned. So that's the only reason why I thought possibly maybe ours were getting that because of the LGBT thing. But like, for example, I went on um, Dark Side Diva's uh, TikTok and they Who have used... not been shadow banned, by the way. And the funniest fucking right. response that I got when I posted on our Twitter, just to let people know, oh, by the way, we appear to have been shadow banned, if anybody knows anything, was fucking Chris from Dark Side Divas responding and being like, how have y'all been shadow banned, but not Steph? Right. And, uh, my uh, my only response was to say that the dark side of the force must be a pathway to many abilities, some considered to be unnatural. And one of those unnatural abilities is the ability to not get shadow banned on TikTok. Well, and it was weird because like I think one of their most recent ones, they had hashtagged LGBTQ or whatever. And I was like, okay, like I don't understand what it was then because if they can use that hashtag and be fine like you know what i mean like it doesn't make any sense anyway moving on from tiktok i just <laughs> yeah we, we just could annoying. complain about this thank you to everyone who responded to the tweets uh that i put out especially dark side divas who did go and she liked a bunch of our videos to try to boost engagement for that thank you so much steph uh and thank you everyone who responded liked those tweets uh we're trying to support us through getting shadow banned. We really, really do appreciate that because our TikTok is not that big. (laughs) And so we feel these things very, very uh, strongly when they do happen. So today, Bradley, uh, since there was, there wasn't really news, there was terrifying tales that came out, but we discussed in the pre-meeting, we're not going to talk about that as part of another episode. Uh, we're gonna talk about that probably on its own somewhere. We're still talking about that, how we wanna right. do that. We are gonna talk about uh, season two, episode five of The Mandalorian, which is called The Jedi. But before we do, I've gotta jump out and address something real quick with this episode and our coverage of it. Because we are an LGBT podcast. And there is a T in there. So I I do feel like I have to address sort of what was happening at the time. We're not really going to talk about it for reasons that I'm going to get into in just a moment. But basically, at the time that this episode came out, uh, Rosario Dawson's family was facing a lawsuit. And in that lawsuit, one of the things that was alleged was transphobic attacks on a trans man. The lawsuit's been dropped. Uh, But it is still a very painful topic for the trans community and trans fans of Star Wars. Uh, And I wanted to address it up front. We're not going to talk about that since we are two cis men. 
Uh, that's not really our place to comment on that. There's been a lot that's been said on it uh, by a lot of very smart and articulate voices, but I didn't want that to go completely unaddressed since I don't wanna feel like we're kind of shoving that under the rug and saying, well, that's over. Let's just pretend it didn't happen and move forward and just be hyped for Ahsoka and talk about this episode. So personally, I would encourage people to go and read some of the stuff that's been said and watch some of the stuff that's been said by people that are a lot smarter and more articulate than we are. Uh, and that would be what I would recommend, but we're not really going to cover it here. I did want to bring that up. So that was, that was my best way of addressing that. So I wanted to get that out of the way up front so that people know exactly where we stand on that before we dive into this episode because I didn't want to feel like we were just ignoring that. Awesome. Okay, Bradley, let's, uh, let's dive into this episode then. Absolutely. So this week, the Mandalorian journeys to a world ruled by a cruel magistrate who has made a powerful enemy. Name one thing about this episode you liked and one thing you did not. Okay, so one thing that I liked about this episode was coming off the back of Visions. Bradley, have you been following any of the online conversation in the shitty Star Wars sphere about this? No, I definitely no, don't. You stay, he I stay here. He runs our Instagram where he doesn't have to see these comments, and he stays <laughs> off our Twitter where I have to see them every day. So there's this whole element of we'll call them the, the garbage compactor side of the fandom <laughs> that is upset about Star Wars visions uh, because they don't see a place for all that Asian shit <laughs> in Star Wars. Right. And I'm like, first of all, shut the fuck up. Right. Second of all, please watch a Kurosawa film, any Kurosawa film. I'm begging you. Uh, but what I liked about this episode was the production design and the design of it. You do kind of see some of those influences, mm -hmm. especially in the magistrate's garden. I have a particular note that I really like that kind of courtyard that they're in, but you can see it doesn't feel, it feels like space fantasy, but it doesn't feel like Western space fantasy like that. Eastern inspired influence is very there. And I really dig that whole vibe to this. Uh, one thing that I didn't like. Jesus Christ. It's oh, hard. man. This is going to be hard because this is a uh, spoiler. Uh, this is my favorite episode of the season and will probably remain so. Jeez, Louise. Oh, man. One thing I didn't like, I should have prepped for this part. I really. I mean, should. you don't have to. You don't have to give a thing you didn't like. I literally like my thing I didn't like is such a nitpick that it's not even like that relevant. I. Oh man, if I if I had to nitpick, if I had to super nitpick, yeah. And I mean, this is one of those. The way they do it is perfect. But if you put a gun to my head and force me to make one change. I would have removed the line about who Ahsoka's looking for and let the background details kind of mm -hmm. clue people in. But I also get, because we'll talk about this in background details 
oh but it's it's so good that it's there to let people know what's going i don't know yeah i I know it's hard it's hard everything i could suggest for this episode is just alternate ways of doing the same thing right i i got nothing (laughs) one thing you liked and one thing you disliked you deal with this um, okay, so one thing I liked about the episode was all of the actual Japanese um, influences. Uh, it felt like, I feel like it was it was kind of like the Sanctuary episode, but in, done in a way that I liked better. So I think with the Sanctuary episode, it had all those Japanese influences. It was very like, um, you know, they're in a Small. It was a direct draw from Seven Samurai, so... Right, right, right. So I think I liked the influences more because this is essentially, like you said, when you brought up Visions, this is essentially a Visions episode, but done in live action, essentially. Um, which is kind of the, I guess, I don't want to say it's the jumping off point for Visions people, but it kind of is their... You kind can of like kind of see... Idea. Yeah, you can kind of see where where that the, the some discussions might have been happening because right. i actually was reminded a lot of it reminded me a lot of the duel the very first short mm, yeah very uh, similar they both kind of draw from yojimbo a little bit so it's another one of those things where it's like it's drawing from the same inspiration um so the one thing i didn't like about the episode and like i said this is a super nitpick this is not this is just a personal opinion this really does not matter to me that much it's just a slight slight little nitpick um the costuming for ahsoka specifically her headpiece which is her uh, like her tendrils or whatever you call them like i don't know what it's not her hair but you know what i mean like her there's a word for them someone has told me it was either chris or matthew on twitter has told me what they are but i i don't remember right so anyway that piece of her body right her head piece um i didn't like how it it bent or folded um uh right next to her face like where it's it's kind of on her shoulders and it kind of like pinches at points and that's just due to the material they had to make flexible so it moved naturally Um, on her head and it wasn't a solid piece of plastic or something or foam on her head that didn't move naturally and look like it was a part of her. Um, So the only thing I would say is I wish they would have gone in and digitally erased the folds or the wrinkles in the costume just to kind of make it more smooth because it still moves very naturally, especially at the very end um, of the episode where there's like, I think there's like wind on her or something um, Mm -hmm. from the ship leaving and then her, her little uh, headpiece thing moves with the wind and it looks like it's a part of her, but I just wish that those little folds, the creases, they look like an afterthought or like maybe cause they're not consistent throughout the whole entire episode. And I feel like they were only the creases were made when she's wearing it. So when she takes it off, I feel like they smooth out and they go back to normal. And then whenever she puts it back, the costume back on, they kind of like slowly over time, the longer she wears it, the more wrinkly it gets. So I think that was just a costuming nitpick. They may fix this by the time we get to the Ahsoka show, but I just, that was just a a tiny little nitpicky thing for the costume. But other than that, the whole episode, I love. Chief, that is a hell of a fucking nitpick. (laughs) That is a hell of a fucking nitpick. You had to scrape, you had to scrape through the bottom of the barrel until you were scraping dirt. 
I, I'm get telling the fucking you. nitpick. I know. I know. Yeah, and I know there was like complaints about, oh, her uh, head tails aren't as long or tall or whatever as they are in animation. Yeah. Like, I don't care about that. Shut up! It's a costume choice, and it's yeah. not gonna it, exactly. Huh. Star Wars is a mythology, not a history. Not everything right. is going to match, and that includes the costume design of how people look. Right. And I will point out, I mean, we can talk about it now. Um, again, like we normally do, we always talk about the directed by early on. It is directed and written by Dave Filoni. So regardless of what people say about this episode, he made the choices for this episode. Therefore, this is the Dave Filoni episode. Like, yeah. I feel like they just gave him free reign on this episode to do whatever he wanted right with ahsoka so yeah every choice they made was gonna deliberately be something dave filoni wanted which and I think as you people... know fanboys love dave filoni until dave right. filoni says literally anything well i think and they hate him it's worth mentioning too like okay if dave filoni does something with the character that he created his character ahsoka tano anything he makes her do in any medium you have to accept it because it's his character like i don't understand why people are so like Mm -hmm. well ahsoka like you said like ahsoka's tendrils aren't they're longer in the rebels cartoon than they are in this okay this is still directed by dave filoni so he made that choice (laughs) there was some pointless dumb bullshit a few weeks ago where people were taking a quote from gallery uh out of context where it was talking about Ahsoka's fighting style being reflective of her having more direct like training than Luke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you guys know this is all Dave Filoni has done for like 20 years, right? <laughs> or like 15 years. You know that Dave Filoni probably knows what he's talking about when it comes to these characters. Right. And yeah, I feel like it's it's different than when you get a situation like in the sequels where you have different writers that are dealing with characters like Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, uh, Leia Organa that were not George Lucas. Mm-hmm. But by the same, on the opposite side of the coin, when it comes to some of the choices made in this episode, it's like, this is Dave Filoni. He created the character. Exactly. He's the George Lucas here. Bradley, you want to you wanna take us into this episode? I have so many fucking notes. I know. It was so, it was honestly, it was so hard to even do some of these little, what I call my summaries of each scene, because I almost was like, I almost like want to like just do it all at once. It's really hard to do, but okay, here we go. Uh, we'll just get into it. This is our new, uh, this is our riff on Star Wars Minute. We're, right. we're actually going to become the This Specific Episode podcast. <laughs> and for the next year, we're going to do one minute from one this minute. episode right. every week. That'd be so funny. On the planet of Corvus, a familiar Jedi absolutely destroys a bunch of dudes and vows to help the people of a town taken over by an evil magistrate. Let's talk about the actors right off the <laughs> yes. bat. Because this scene, this scene introduces our three main actors who are not Pedro Pascal. Right. Uh, and also Baby Yoda, who is not a puppet, who is a real uh, Baby Yoda that is there and right. acting. Play, played by Baby Yoda. <laughs> well, let's talk about our three actor, three principal actors. Absolutely. In order uh, of appearance. Okay. 
So first of all, we have Michael Bean. I think it's how you say his last name as Lang. Yes. The sort of chief of security. Uh, I checked and he's been in a lot of action stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really anything that I could look at and, and we would like directly know except for Terminator. Yes. He was in Terminator as Kyle Reese. Which is like, wait a minute, how old is he? Like, I had to think about that for a second he when looks I was doing the research. great. Yeah, I was he like, whoa. fantastic. Because that's not for, a small role. <laughs> yeah, for a dude who is, uh, for a dude who has had a pretty long career at this point, doing a lot of stuff in action movies, dude takes care of himself. I would let him buy me a drink at a bar. <laughs> I would do it with no complaints. I wouldn't even take a look at what credit card he was using first. Right. Uh, no, that's funny. Um, I, I also saw he was also in the Alien movies. Um, yes. So that was interesting too, uh, that he's been in these pretty big franchises. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of like small roles in big franchises, which mm-hmm. if you look at actors who have successful careers where this is just kind of their job, you see a lot of ones where actors they'll do small roles in various things and some people that's right sort of their thing and that's a perfectly valid and great career path is just to be the guy who's in stuff we got a lot a lot of those actors in the mandalorian actually who Mm -hmm. have just been in a lot of things you like every actor has been in law and order every single one right and it, I do want it to be known he was also in a um, film called The Magnificent Seven, which is a, a western. Uh, no, he was in the original. He was in the original. Oh, well, shit. I don't. Well, I don't know how many versions of that movie there are, but he was in the 1998 version. Uh, that... or, I'm sorry, the, the TV series. Um, oh, that's that, that's something completely different. Oh, that, that's Magnificent Seven. The... Magnificent Seven has been remade uh, without hyperbole about a hundred thousand times. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, it was a Western version of Seven Samurai. And oh, okay, okay. Magnificent Seven itself has been remade. Like most recently, it was remade. Uh, like this was in the past ten years or so. It was remade. Again. Right. I think it was a. It was a Netflix. A movie, I want to say, recently? No. Maybe? Yeah, because it had, like, a bunch of people in it. There were maybe seven in particular people. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's in the title. But they were, like, big stars. It was, like, one of those things where it was, like, they were... Was it Was out. it the Chris Pratt one? Yeah. Oh, that, that one, yeah, that might have just come to Netflix. Oh, I have okay. no interest in watching it. But. I don't either. So we can move on. But I just wanted to point out that he was in the TV series, The Magnificent Seven, where he it is a Western. Therefore, that does come up a little bit later with his character in the yes. his final scene. So I just want that yes. to be known for later on. So our next uh, new actress in the show is Rosario Dawson mm-hmm. playing Ahsoka Tano, uh, a character we've never seen before. completely original to this episode (laughs) uh rosario dawson big big uh well-known movie star she uh marvel fans may know her as the nurse character from the defenders uh series of netflix shows that's how i was introduced to her Mm -hmm. um 
She is also Senator Cory Booker's partner. Yes. Which we were we were super close to having first lady. Well, we were not that close to having first lady right. Ahsoka Tano, but it was a possibility. I was gonna say, realistically, no, it was never gonna happen. But no, it was never gonna happen. But it was nice to think. But it was nice to think, right? It was nice to imagine that theoretically we could have a first lady. Well, actually, not even first lady, first girlfriend, um, because they're not married. Um, so we could have we would have had the first girlfriend as a Star Wars character in the White House. <laughs> and then she pulls an Edith Wilson and we get President Ahsoka Tano. And I frankly would be here for that. Right. Uh, she is all she has also acted in something. I, I vaguely remember, I didn't research this, but wasn't she in something with Hayden Christensen? Yes, it's, uh, um, I don't remember the name of the film. Um, I can look it up real quick if you want, but it's um, one of the more well-known movies that Hayden Christensen is known for because um, he didn't have a super illustrious acting career, but people do know him from the movie Shattered Glass. See, I've never even heard of that movie. Oh, so the only that's other what, movies I know him from were Jumper and Awake. Was it the name of the movie yeah. where well, he's like, I know, though, yeah, surgery? I know Jumper was like, oh my God, I love that movie. Um, but Shattered Glass was one that people knew him, regular people would know him for, um, not Star Wars people. So I think that was um, a weird random movie they did together. And so it's like, oh, okay. Yep. And then uh, I, I also just, googled rosaria dawson's uh wikipedia page while bradley was researching that off camera uh (laughs) and unfortunately uh two other little facts about her unfortunately she is a trekkie uh and she does know some klingon words uh which is a shame yeah but people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones i've been in more star trek fan films than i've actually seen of star trek uh we don't talk about those though uh and then there was some it's kind of vague like the wording on the wikipedia page is vague i probably should have researched this before we went to air but uh she may or may not probably be a member of the lgbt community it's super vague the way wikipedia words it so, well, I read a statement once where she said she was an advocate, at least. So she, she is, is at, at least very an ally. least a long. T- oh, she's a long term advocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she is a long term advocate uh, for LGBT groups. Uh, but yeah, it's a little vague on whether or not she is a member gotcha. of the community herself. But yeah, she's a big deal. Uh, fun mm-hmm. fact about her, too. Uh, her tweet where she said that she would be down to play Ahsoka Tano. Last I checked, which was like a year and a half ago, was one of only three tweets on Twitter that Dave Filoni has ever liked. <laughs> I wonder how that conversation went. Like, hey, would you like to be in Star Wars? Hey, would you also like to be this cartoon character that people absolutely hated at first and now absolutely love? Um and you would be bringing that character to live action and uh, it's a giant weight of responsibility. And we also may be giving you a whole show in addition to this. Oh, oh yeah, no. And, and like, there was a lot of discussion when she first took the part because people were like, oh, why, why wouldn't you just give it to Ashley Eckstein? You know, she's, 
she looks like Ahsoka. Right. <laughs> kind of, if you put in a bunch of makeup, but then there's, you know, another side of the issue that's pointed out that Ahsoka is coded as not white, so it right. does make sense to switch the actress. Look. It's a whole thing that we're two white guys. We're not going to really yeah. get into that, but it was something that came up in the Well, I do want to say, casting. I want to say on the acting side of it, not that Ashley Exing is not talented in any, any shape or form. She absolutely is. I think that because of what the direction that they want to go with this character, i.e. a full-on miniseries slash TV series that they want to do with this character, possible appearances later in other films right. and or movies, it's just a lot to put on somebody. And you need to make sure that the person that you're giving that to is an experienced movie star i mean yeah for the most I, part. I think that primarily may have been why they did the switch uh because if you look at dawson's uh co-writing the ahsoka show so she's right. very she's done tv she's you know very into these into this space she's got a lot of experience acting for the screen uh i don't know it's it's certainly something that's going to continue to be discussed yeah, I remember we did it. We discussed, and I actually it's one of our TikTok clips uh, that really just Ashley Eckstein should be in the Ahsoka show in some form. Right. But we have opined about Rosaria Dawson for long enough. Well, I have one last yes. thing about her too. Oh, um, okay. So we keep saying is, that. I know, I know, I know. Okay, this is the last thing we're going to say about Rosaria Dawson. Okay. So currently. You mentioned this before. So now she she has played Ahsoka Tano. And you said that she was in the Netflix Marvel series. Yes. Um, as the nurse uh, from Luke Cage, Daredevil, all those. So Claire she doesn't Temple. have... Claire Temple, Claire. that was her name. She doesn't have the trifecta, right? She doesn't have a Disney-esque thing. Until... I'm assuming next year. Until? Um, because currently in pre-production is a Disney film being created that she is a star in. I don't know who she's playing, um, but they are doing a remake of The Haunted Mansion um, again. So they're like rebooting it and doing it again. Really? And she's in it. Really? Yes. That's what IMDb says, so I have to go on the, that fact alone. <laughs> so. IMDb says this? I gotta, I gotta double check. Uh, you'll yeah. forgive me if I if I double check. <laughs> no, I know. I, it's definitely something worth mentioning um, because that would mean that she would have the Disney trifecta. So she'd be the second actress to get the Disney tri. That's I'll right. be damned. It is listed on listed on IMDb as mm-hmm. in pre-production. Right. Uh, also, direct- funny enough, starring Owen Wilson, who was in the Loki show, who I guess. Theoretically, he could also have a Disney trifecta if he would show up in Star Wars. So, yes. Now we need Owen Wilson in Star Wars. (laughs) Good Lord. We have opined for like 10 minutes just on the subject of Rosario Dawson. I know. Okay, let's move on to the last actor because I. Let's move on to the last actor uh, (laughs) because. So, the final final actress that I want to go ahead and bring up uh, that's introduced and the episode does this great thing where it introduces all the characters right up front but 
the final actress that we need to talk about is uh, Diana Lee Innocento playing Morgan Elsbeth, the magistrate. Uh, she has had a fucking kick-ass career. Mm, she is a yes. martial artist. Uh, she's a stunt woman. She is Bruce Lee's fucking goddaughter. <laughs> like, this woman kicks so much ass. If you needed any more endorsement to be a stunt woman. Any more endorsement. She's Bruce Lee's goddaughter. She is so cool. Yeah, I was looking at some of her um, stuff and she was like, she did stunts for like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like Star Trek Enterprise. And I was like, wow, she's been in pretty much everything. She's, yeah, like I was reading her her biography earlier to prepare for the episode. I was like, oh my God, this yeah. woman is a legend. And I wow. think we're it's getting into that whole, like, because in previous episodes we've seen that the Mandalorian at least has been hiring physicality actors to play these roles so -hmm. it's very interesting that you have people like um Cosca Reeves in the Eris episode who is a you know a wrestler to play a very physical character same here you know you have a stunt woman playing a very physical character who can do her own stunts and she can fight and she doesn't have to have a stunt although double. yeah i believe she did do her own stunts for this one as opposed to uh right. the person who played Casca reeves who yeah for completely understandable reasons didn't do her own stunts right so one thing i noted we can finally get to talking about the scene 15 <laughs> okay, minutes <good>. later <laughs> right uh I love how Ahsoka's using the fog to attack. Mm. Like it's a very, I felt like it's very un-Anakin to do. I thought it was very un-Jedi-like to do. Like it's a very like hide in the shadows. Well, I'll note later on that there's an interesting thing with her uh, relationship to the word Jedi in this episode. Yeah. Even though the episode is called The Jedi. Yeah, no, she's using the fog. And like Anakin, she is mopping the floor with these guys, right? Right, right. She's just absolutely fucking destroying him. Anakin would not have bothered to be sneaky and terrifying about it. He just would have run in, killed them all, and then probably like gone straight for the magistrate. Whereas Ahsoka is like trying to be sneaky mm-hmm. and like, it reminded me of uh, of the Fog Warriors that are mentioned in Dragon Age 2, where they talk about how they were terrifying specifically because they would pop in and out of the fog and you never knew where they were coming from. Right. Like the way she's activating and deactivating her lightsaber to kind of hide in the fog. And I, I want to note too, like I like how she deactivates the lightsabers and activates the lightsabers and deactivates the lightsabers just to utilize that fog to her advantage because they, I think uh, it's either the aliens or the people underneath the masks uh, who speak a different language because it does say, I think in the subtitles, speak alien language. Um, yes. They, uh, you know, they mention how they can't see her on the scopes. So I yes. just thought it was interesting. She's absolutely, she's just terrifying these people. Like, uh, I also want to address, so when she first comes out, when we get our first good look at her, when she's standing in front of the magistrate, uh, 
her music, her theme from Clone Wars and Rebels plays. Mm. Uh, I also wanted to note when I first watched this episode, I was thrown by the voice. Okay. Because I'm used to Ahsoka sounding like Ashley Eckstein's voice. Right. But it's rather, I think upon rewatch, it's a bit like the Freddie Prince Jr. thing from Bad Batch. Where when I first watched it, I was thrown. And then when I went back and watched it later, I was like, oh, no. Rosaria Dawson is kind of doing a older, more evolved kind of timbre for Ahsoka's voice. Right. I think it's the same when you watch Clone Wars and then you go watch Rebels. It's a similar shift because it's still Ashley Eckstein who's doing the voice, but there is something more mature about her voice in Rebels. It's not it's not too much of a drastic difference, but it's like enough to throw you if you haven't watched them or if you watch them back to back. Ashley has also talked about in interviews when she went to go do Clone Wars season seven, mm-hmm. finding it weird that she had to like jump back right. to doing the younger Ahsoka voice and try to remember where Ahsoka was at that point. Because she'd been doing it for Rebels. She'd been doing the older Ahsoka for Rebels. After the introduction of Ahsoka, Din and the child arrive on Corvus to the town of Caladan and meet the Magistrate. Here, she offers him a Beskar spear in exchange for killing the Jedi who is causing her trouble. Before they leave, Lang asks about the child, to which Mandalorian replies, is for good luck. (laughs) Oh, I loved that exchange. (laughs) I loved that exchange. Because it, we talked in previous episodes about everybody seeing the child as a pet, right? And Mando kind of playing into it here. Yeah, I did like that. And also, I I don't want to say that people aren't looking for the child, but it seems to be that like at least on this planet, we're far enough out to where people don't either don't care or the guild isn't as far out here. So you know what I mean? Like it's just not as important. He does more of a. Well, Lang does ask if he's guild. Mm-hmm. So, like, they know about the guild. They just, I guess, never got any of the word about the child or anything, what was going on with that. Right. Corvus, the planet, reminds me a lot of Mustafar that we see around the time of Rise of Skywalker. Like, I just noted that as they were descending to it, that yeah. it's very much the same visual design. Uh, it also reminded me of something else that we'll get to in a minute. But uh, that was one note I had is it did remind me a lot of that. It was interesting, the idea of like in Mustafar and the Rise of Skywalker, you can see the planet healing because of the events of, um, oh shit, I can't remember the name of the VR game. <laughs> oh, I always uh, wanted to play it, but I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I know what you're talking about because I think I bought the first episode or whatever of that VR game. Vader Immortal. There we go. There you go. I have done Secrets of the Empire. Side note, uh, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And legitimately, um, I cried (laughs) after it. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. Corvus looks a lot like Mustafar in that. And that was a note that I had. Uh, The guy on the wall as they're approaching, does like the Yavin 4 thing where he scans the ship. Mm, I like that. That's a fun little, not, again, an echo of another movie, not an Easter egg. I think people get those two confused. 
we'll talk about Easter eggs here in a minute because one absolutely just pops up. But yeah, I, I think there's a notable difference between Star Wars just doing a thing. I think it was, which, which episode earlier in the season we talked about, something was not an Easter egg. They just straight up are in this episode. It might have been Bo-Katan. Yeah, like, I think that's, I think, well, if, even if that's not what it was, I think that's a good example is that, like, just because you introduce a character from another thing, that's not an Easter egg, that's not a look what you missed in the episode, that's just a thing that's in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, it's or any any droid, really, you, you can't call, like, a gonk droid an Easter egg anymore, because that's just a thing that exists in the universe, so... Stuff like that would be, you know, or like, or if they do match for match action or they, a phrase that they say, those aren't Easter eggs. Those are just echoes of the original or things that we saw in the original movie. Yeah. Like if somebody just does the thing that they do, that's emblematic in the universe at that point, I wouldn't necessarily call that an Easter egg. Right. I'd maybe call that like a connection or a fun fact, or I think your word echo is very good. Um, but for like an example of like what something I'd consider an Easter egg. So that's something that's not necessarily part of the universe is specifically meant there for fans to find. Uh, the emblem on the HK droids that we're going to talk about later in the episode, that is an Easter egg. That is something that's hidden in the background details. Right. That is rewarding for fans to find. So I think part of the difference looking at like an Easter egg versus an echo, an Easter egg is rewarding for fans to find. Like it's hidden. It's, it's like an Easter egg hunt versus something that's just kind of there because it's there and taking place in the same universe. But I did like the guy doing the Yavin 4 scan. Uh, I noted here, we, we talked about earlier, the idea of like the space fantasy vibes. Mm-hmm. So Star Wars is not science fiction, it's space fantasy. And this whole episode is just dripping with space fantasy vibes. Like it, when he enters the, the compound, it almost kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings in a way. Hmm. Interesting. Just the way things are designed, the way the thing is with the giant gate and the stuff immediately beyond. I don't know. I definitely got those vibes. I was getting, um, I mean, just because of the Asian influence, I was definitely getting a Mulan vibe um, when he enters in the garden area um, because it reminded me of the, I think, I believe it's like the last scene or the uh, end scene of Mulan where she's like walking into the garden to like present her father with his sword or something because she's back and she's alive right. and whatever. It's very similar, like, you know, the koi pond or whatever that, it's very like peaceful, harmonic kind of thing. Oh yeah, I absolutely love the set design of with with almost kind of looks like bonsai trees. Mm-hmm. I would have to double check because I don't know this off the cuff, but I think the way the walls are designed for the exterior might be reminiscent of fortresses uh, during certain Chinese dynasties. Yeah. Like, I think we see that same type of wall designed in uh, the Bad Mulan remake. Right. That, well, that's so what I, I was thinking. Yeah. That I think too. we might actually see those exterior walls the same way. That would be something for um, someone to go and double check and let me know. 
Yeah, I think it's whether uh, reminiscent not... of very classic uh, ancient China city. Like right, and China's had such a fucking long history, and so much has happened in it that I couldn't pin down. I don't want to paint it with a broad brush and say, "Oh, it looks like an ancient Chinese fortress," because there's a specific fortress yeah, yeah, yeah. that I think popped up in the Milan remake, and I think the walls were inspired by the same wall here with the way they're kind of sort of slanted in the way they are and the way they're designed. It's really cool. And the fact that we can even have this conversation <laughs> speaks a lot to how good the production design was. One thing I did also note, uh, I don't know if this counts as an Easter egg by our definition or not, uh, but briefly in one shot, you can see an 8D series smelter droid walking behind like a very decrepit one. Uh, that was the droid doing the torture in Return of the Jedi. Oh. And has also shown up in Phantom Menace, shown up in Clone Wars, shown up in a lot of different things. But I know it as the droid what that does the torture in Return <laughs> of the Jedi. Which we could probably talk about for at length of why or how even torturing a droid is possible. Um and how a gong droid has sensors on their feet. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So um, I don't want to get into that whole rabbit hole of like, do droids feel pain? Um, Because we could be here for hours. But yes, that was a cute little, I like seeing stuff like that. Yeah, I would would argue that that's more of an Easter egg if it's in the background and it's a little harder to see. So. Yeah, I... It, it's a complicated line to right. walk, but if something's like in the background and you go, oh, I know that thing. Like, I would argue Dr. Evazon in Rogue One was an Easter egg, even though it's very in your face, because it's yeah. not relevant for the plot. It's mm. it now it's an Easter egg that's just been handed to you. Right. But I would still argue that it is because it's just like, of course, Rogue One is absolutely full of just handing the audience Easter eggs and going, That's do true. you remember this thing? <laughs> Another interesting, I told you, I have a fuck ton of notes. Yeah, that's fine. Just so many notes. Uh, so the character of Wing, who we see in this sequence, uh, eventually becomes Governor Wing, is played by a guy also named Wing, Wing Tao Chow is the actor who is playing uh, the guy who eventually becomes the governor. He is a former Disney Imagineering executive who was a Disney Imagineering executive for 37 years. Wow. Yep. So he is sort of cameoing in this episode. Hmm. That's just a fun fact about that actor. Good for him. Ah. I thought it was interesting. You brought up the droid torture a minute ago. And we also see some torture here. Yes. It's a very Game of Thrones fucking torture. And I haven't noted, I find it very interesting how Star Wars finds PG-13 ways to do R-rated material. (laughs) Yeah. So when I saw the guys in the cages being shocked, my first thought was... uh, the crucified slaves and masters from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. You know, when she walks up, right? 
when when Danny walks up and sees all those like slaves that have been crucified right. on the side of the road, uh, like they're just hanging there, and then she does it to the masters later on mm-hmm. in the like in the series. That's what this reminded me of. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of like it's supposed to be like an example, like show like uh, look what will happen to you if you cross me, kind of situation. Which is super fucked up because it looks like the way that they're in the cages, they force you to stand completely upright. It's kind of like an Iron Maiden type deal, which, side note, Iron Maidens were not a thing. (laughs) That didn't happen. But the trope of it kind of plays into that whole thing where you have to stand perfectly upright and if you falter at all, you get... uh, in this case, shocked. Right. Yeah, this, um, it also reminds me of, um, I've been, so my roommate had never seen the Teen Wolf series before. So a couple months ago we were watching it and we, he kind of gave up like in the last season because it's so terrible. Um, and I'm forcing it waited him. until the last season to get terrible enough for I him know. to give up. Well, no, he would he would he argue that the first three all the other seasons. He would argue that the first three that was the last straw. Okay. I'll I'll tell I'll tell the audience that if you want to watch Team Wolf, just watch the first three seasons. You don't need to watch the rest. It, the first three is fine. Um but we're trying to finish the because they announced the Team Wolf movie the other day. Um that they're com- all coming back and they're gonna do a movie. Um, and so I was like, we yeah, because we've it. hit that we've hit that unfortunate nostalgia wall to where uh, stuff that I was right. seeing on 2012 uh, when I was on a certain website uh, that was blue uh, before Twitter was cool. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing is starting to come back. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, so God. in that show, Force Awakens. So in that show, wave. though, they. Um, that's like their go-to torture, right? Is electricity. Like that's like the go-to because it's the most PG-13 way to show torture because right. obviously there's no blood, right? There's no cutting of anything. It's just when you shock somebody, you can add some CGI electricity to their body and make them look like they're getting electrocuted. And then they're getting hurt and they're getting tortured, but it's not graphic. So it's a nice roundabout way of being like look we can torture people but it's not going to make children have nightmares (laughs) the most terrifying torture scene i've ever seen was from an anime called monster that you can't really get in the u.s anymore because the licensing ran out but all it involved it wasn't that graphic Mm -hmm. uh all it involved was a single uh household grooming appliance and that was it and i still have nightmares about it to this day so like you can do this stuff really you can do this stuff really really well without being super graphic and i think star wars when it approaches these things like if you're looking at the torture of poe dameron in force awakens or leia organa in um a new hope it it treats it the very same way that it, it finds a way to show these things or address these topics without necessarily like figuring that it has to do shock value. Right. I watched the star Wars explain videos. Uh, he did a, a 101 like fun facts from the Mandalorian 
And I always watch them before we record this episode in case he pointed out anything that I missed. I didn't note this, but he did point out that the, the skeletons being electrocuted uh, uses the same kind of effect as Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. Oh, like you can see their you can see their bones. Yeah. You can see their bones and stuff. Right. That's yeah, that's and now see that would be an echo to the movie. That would not be an Easter egg. Because it's like you can see his skeleton when he gets electrocuted. Ha ha ha. You could see Darth Vader's uh skeleton when he was electrocuted in this thing, you know. So it makes it's not meant to be found, it's makes meant to make the world feel consistent. Right. So the magistrate delivers a line. She says, the Jedi are the ancient enemy of Mandalore. Uh, And here we're not going to do a thing Charles fucked up. We're going to do a thing Charles oversimplified. So I did some double checking. On a previous episode of this show, I referenced the fact that the Empire basically bombed Mandalore into submission. Where... uh, they did the purge and they they put their thumb down and quashed the rebellion. Uh, but I inaccurately conflated uh, the devastation of Mandalore, the planet, mm-hmm. with the Empire purging it. Because it's kind of implied in the Mandalorian that they're one in the same event, they are not. The planet was actually rendered inhospitable during the final battle between the Mandalorians and the Jedi, which is part of the reason for the animosity Mm. between the two. That the Jedi rendered the planet basically uninhabitable except for the domes that people live on. Now, I think in Rebels, we see them wandering around outside the domes with, like, their helmets off and stuff. Uh, So clearly, like, it's not that they can't breathe, it's that the thing is just barren. So that was on that was on me. I conflated the two and oversimplified it. Uh, but it's interesting she would bring up that conflict as trying to goad him and to go after go after Ahsoka. Right. And I also don't like. Well, we'll get to it at the at the end, but. Everybody keeps conflating Mando with being an actual Mandalorian. Like he is like the keeper of the history and the religion and the everything. And they're like, you, you are just, you're just keeping our culture alive, sir. Like, it's like, uh, he's not even a real Mandalorian. Like, it's just funny how the general theme in this show is that like the culture has to be kept like pure and like everybody has to keep bringing this up and this is funny that he's the one who's taking the torch i guess for well the under underlying question of the show is what is a mandalorian what does it mean to be a mandalorian right what does it mean to be a member of any identity really uh how do you how do you have that relationship with your identity like looking at us from our angle you know something that that we are constantly asking ourselves as gay men is what is our relationship with the concept of being a gay man? What is our relationship with the concept of the gay community and things like that? So that's what the whole show is about. And so there's these questions. It's interesting you bring up the way that other people kind of look at him and make their own determinations about what does he care about versus 
like asking him what he actually cares about because I don't <laughs> think he cares that much right about and we'll see later on that he's beginning to be deprogrammed and compromising some of his values uh the literal minute I saw the Beskar spear though I fucking clocked he was going to use it against the lightsaber at some point yeah I, I went, he's going to get this spear and he's going to use it against the lightsaber. I'm not going to say whether or not I was right, but I want it noted that the very first time I watched the episode and like it was introduced, I immediately went, hmm, I bet he uses this against the lightsaber at some point. Well, I guess for this episode, if you're just going off this episode in particular and you have no idea what's going to happen next, you're half right, I guess, theoretically. Uh, it is used against a lightsaber. Right, in this episode at some point. So, But he doesn't use he it. He doesn't, but yes, that is, it's worth noting that you were at least, uh, by partially this point, correct. you were partially correct, right? Uh, I love dip- how diplomatic he is in this scene. He never expressly says, I'm going to go after the Jedi. He's just like, where's the Jedi? And she immediately assumes he's taking the job. Right, yeah, he's really crafty in this scene because in in the next scene he said, or not in the next scene, but later on in the episode, he tells Ahsoka, he says, I never accepted the job the job, or whatever. I never said I was going to kill you. Like, I just implied. <laughs> Using the coordinates supplied by the magistrate, Mando runs into Ahsoka Tano, who wields her blades against the Mandalorian. After a scuffle and a flamethrower fiasco, Mando reveals that he was sent by Bo-Katan, stopping the fight. You just had to bring up the fucking flamethrower, didn't you? Of course. The flamethrower, my enemy. It was was only a split second, though, so you should at least appreciate the fact that he didn't continuously try to use it. Uh, And it was actually useful in the long run because he, I think, destroys the cloak. And then the next time we see her, she's wearing the white cloak. So right. Din Djarin's fucking stupid flamethrower had one use, and it was to give us the cool Ahsoka visual design we got in Rebels. Um, I do want to know before we see Ahsoka, it's a split second, and this would be what you would call an Easter egg. There mm-hmm. is an owl. I don't know what it's called. So it's called a but... convor. Okay. Uh, it is named after Dave Filoni's wife. Uh, what that that type of bird is actually named after? It is a convor. Its name is Morai, uh, and it is very important to because it is an embodiment of the daughter from the Mortis right. arc. And we see that years later, Morai is still following Ahsoka around. Right. So I just thought that was a nice. Now that would, yes, that is a true Easter egg because it's like still there. It's still a fun little thing. Love, they do this a lot in the episode, but this scene in particular, I really love the force jump. Like the her jumping up in the air. He ties her up with the um, grappling hook or whatever. And then she force jumps up in the air over a tree to like turn it on him. Like, I just thought that was so yep. cool. Yep. Well, she has had, uh, you know, the most training of any Jedi alive at this point. So she probably knows how to deal with this by now. Right. Considering it happened to Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones. I think he got wrapped up. And I can't remember how he got out of that. It's been a while since I've seen Attack of the Clones, since it is my least favorite of the movies. Uh, I wanted to note here that they're kind of doing the superhero thing. 
So when when you have two superheroes that meet for the first time, a lot of times you'll like have them fight for just a minute. Like the Avengers did this. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of uh, Avengers Infinity War did this. You have like a minute of them fighting just so you could do the misunderstanding superheroes fight each yeah. other thing. That's what's happening in this scene. They're like, we want to see Den and Ahsoka fight for like two seconds. I, I mean, I, I get that they have to do that because like, oh, there's a misunderstanding. We just didn't know that, you know, I, I hate when they do that at the same time because it's just like, what a waste of time. Like you're wasting time fighting each other. <laughs> we want to establish whether or not Thor could beat up Captain America. Right. which uh jury's still out on that one even though thor could totally beat up captain america i'm just i'm just gonna say that right my only other note from this sequence and i i think it's interesting to talk about that, that when she sets eyes on grogu and that kind of is what stops the fight so he mentions bo katan and you can tell she's kind of thinking about it and then she sees grogu and she's like oh oh i hope we want to talk about him right uh or sees the child rather mm-hmm. this is probably the first time in 30 years that ahsoka tano has seen a jedi that she knew from the temple because she knew arguably kanan so she might have known she might have met kanan but it didn't seem like she really knew kanan all that well right that kanan was a padawan during the final days of the Clone Wars, uh, he was just picked, according to the Canon comic, I think he was picked mid-war. So he was actually he was actually picked, I think probably about a year out from the war ending. And she had already either left the order or something during that point. It's been a long time. It's been like I think 10 years or so. Right, because I think this takes place in nine A B Y. Eight, it's eight. Eight A B Y. Yeah. Uh, so it's been ten years since she's seen Ezra, uh, and even further back, this is the first time she's laid eyes on somebody she knew from the temple. She obviously recognizes the fact that it's the Yoda species, which mm-hmm. if if she is like just like everybody else, you know, nobody really knows anything about the Yoda species, or at least. In all of Star Wars, no one seems to recognize a Yoda species when they see it, unless they already knew him in the prequel era, or if, like now, when the people see the child, they go, what is that? I've never seen that. You know what I mean? So it's obviously like she's like shocked when she sees this thing. Yeah, and that's what really stops the whole fight is she sees right. it, she's like, oh my god. Yeah. I haven't seen you in 30 years. Over 30 years. So before we get into like her communicating with him, do you think that she sees this thing, um, this Yoda species, and she's like, that's Yoda's kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh- no, I don't I don't think that's something that would cross her mind. I think that Yoda is very much a stickler. By the time that Ahsoka knows Yoda, yeah. Yoda is very much a stickler for uh, the rules of the Jedi. Now, we see him in the High Republic, but we don't see a lot of him. It's mainly in the High Republic Adventures line. 
and in that line he's not the he's not really the central focus of the story but even by that point he's he's not having his rebellious uh go out and have kids kind of with random yoda women kind of thing so yeah maybe that is a question that he's constantly having to answer to padawan or to younglings though I mean, for all we know, you know, Yoda's lay eggs. So, I mean, he's constantly having to explain like, "Mm, my kid, this is not. (laughs) Well, okay, so like he gathers all the younglings is like, encounter this child, you will. But my child, it is not right here. Let me jump to the next uh, section so we can talk about that stuff because it is revealed you know all that information is kind of yes we finally revealed. get the the baby yoda backstory give us the baby yoda backstory bradley later that evening ahsoka and the child communicate telepathically through the force revealing the child's actual name is grogu and that he was raised on the jedi temple of coruscant before the clone wars din asks ahsoka to help grogu and she decides to test him in the morning god his fucking name is grogu <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait, we got so many things. Grogu. A season and a half. We gotta a talk season about and a half of, of John Favreau being like, he has a name, he has a name, he has a name. Stop can you calling imagine, him Oh my God, can you Fucking imagine just Grogu. the stress like that John Favreau had being like, because he claims, just like George Lucas claimed he knew the story the whole time. Um, he claims that Grogu was the name from the beginning. So mm. we have to take him at his word. Well, there's elements of the Mandalorian that you can tell they kind of were in the original production Bible mm-hmm. that they came up with. But he's also said in interviews, uh, and take notes, people, uh, the Mandalorian is kind of made up as he goes along. Right. Like, they have a broad outline of what they want to do. But, like, as a, like, Luke Skywalker was something they just fucking made up. Yeah. As they went along. His eventual may or may not involvement in the plot uh, was something that they fucking just made up as they went along. And like bits of it, like a good chunk of it's just made up as they go along. But I do feel like this was something that probably they came up with from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Bradley just looked, uh, we don't record, we don't release the videos of our recording sessions. But I have to point out that Bradley just turned around and looked. And when he records these, he has just a giant wall of baby Yodas behind <laughs> Funko Pops behind him. How did you feel? In fairness, I, I have the baby Yoda Lego minifigure on the shelf behind me when I do right. this recording. So how did you feel about the revelation of the name Grogu? You know, I don't know. I, I think I have mixed feelings about it. Because I think on the one hand, yeah, he has a name. Like, he's not a fucking, you know, he's not a dog that, like, he's not a stray dog that, like, you have to, like, come up with a name. Like, he obviously, like, can think and he has feelings and, like, he obviously has a name. So I like that they gave him a name. But on the other side of that coin, I also think, like, the mystery of who he is and, like, not knowing anything about him, kind of like how we didn't know anything about Yoda, was a similar like i like that aspect of like you don't know anything about yoda you know nothing about him actually because you just know his name and that's it so in this Mm -hmm. instance it was the opposite we didn't know his name we knew nothing about him he kind of reminds me like uh 
of my cat in a way like when they do the sequence uh when pets figure out what their name is so when you get a pet when you get a new pet uh fun fact about my cat mr harker my cat was originally named kylo that's cute uh yeah obviously we fucking changed that (laughs) real fast after i got him which is one of the few instances of me changing something away from a star wars name because I did not want a cat named Kylo. I did not want to have to explain this to people. So when you go to rename an animal, you have to kind of train them how to respond to something. So my cat now, when I say his name or some variation of his name, he will like kind of perk up. Right. And be like, it's me. It's me. It, attention. Attention. Yeah. Pay attention to me now. Grogu kind of does the same thing when, when Den tries actually using his name. Right. He, he goes, does that. He goes, Grogu. And the, like, the child's oh, like, oh, uh, oh, uh, me? Is it me? <laughs> and it's such a cute noise that he makes too. Like the rest of the uh, episode, whenever he does say his name, he's like, oh. I find it interesting that Ahsoka says that many masters trained him. Okay. We need to talk about the backstory a little bit because. Okay. When, because Ahsoka giving us this information is questionable at best. Now because... I will say, I will say that they did say, I think in interviews, that they specifically had Ahsoka do it because she was one of the few people the audience would accept as an authority on this. But also, like, okay, so it brings up a lot of things. So she they explicitly name drop Jedi Temple on Coruscant. So we know yes. we already know about Coruscant. We know everything about it for the most part, like, or we know who was there when they were there for three movies. We know who was there and he was not there in those three movies. Now there were, there were like 10,000 Jedi. Right. By, but it does say masters, right? So several masters trained him. My question is, I feel like, uh, cause he's so young, he wouldn't have been taken as a Padawan. Right. I don't know whether or not like Jedi masters like took, stretches of time like they maybe took depending on their lifetime so they might Mm -hmm. take like five percent of their lifetime and dedicate it to instead of having a padawan they would spend time with grogu like kind of helping him develop Mm -hmm. his force abilities but he's too young to even be a youngling at this point right because he's only 50 here so, right. and she said that they trained him, was it before the Clone Wars? Or he was in the temple before the Clone Wars, correct? He was in the temple before the Clone Wars. So theoretically, he is in, so in between the span of Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, that little gap where Obi-Wan Kenobi is training Anakin for the first time, like when he first gets a youngling, um, or first gets a bad one, I'm sorry. He... That time we could argue is when Grogu is at the temple and possibly I feel that's only like, like 10 years or not even. This is a question that the High Republic might end up answering because the High Republic, Light of the Jedi starts us about 200 years before, or maybe it won't end up answering because I think it's going to end. You know what might answer this question for us though? The Acolyte. Oh, like where he comes from and what he is. Yeah, but now that I'm thinking about timeline, yeah, because it's been 
30 years. Yeah, it's been about 30 years, a little under 30 years since Order 66. Grogu would have been 20. Right. So he would have truly been an infant by that point. He would have been an infant. I wonder if, I wonder if, yeah, because that would have put him, Phantom Menace is about 10 years before Attack of the Clones, three years. So it would have only been about seven or eight years before the events of the Phantom Menace that Grogu was born. So he was theoretically born the same time as Anakin. Why the fuck would you say that out loud? They're technically the same age by the time uh, Anakin dies in Return of the Jedi. So, oh my god, oh my fucking god! So that's what I—that's why I'm confused, right? Because I'm gonna fucking electric cyanide pill now. (laughs) I, I, wow, my mind is blown. My it mind is just blown. It's weird. So Yeah, because he's the same age as Anakin Skywalker. Which means that Grogu is actually the child of the prophecy they're talking about. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but give or take this one is, or two years, they're born around the same time. This is my obligatory plug to read Master and Apprentice. I just finished it. It touches on prophecy. It's very good. But yes, they were born about the same time. Yeah, it's... Wow, because, yeah, he would have only been, like, 20. So many masters trained him over the years. I guess just kind of working with, like, it's a fucking daycare with a child who is powerful enough mm-hmm. to potentially be... Because if he's doing this stuff now, he must be, like, raw... Talking about raw connection with the Force. I hate using the word power. Right. But like, talking raw connection with the Force and raw Force ability... You have this immensely powerful child who maybe the masters take turns like every year they trade off. Okay, as part of my duties, I have to spend a certain number of hours with this infant connecting with him with the force, trying to teach him how to use his powers well, just on pure instinct. I have so many questions. But then it also comes into the thing of, okay, he's the same, he is clearly the same species as Yoda and if we're going to be very specific, Yaddle. Yeah, let's talk about the fucking blatant Yaddle erasure in this scene. Like, um, what the fuck? She's the female Yoda, and she actually has hair, and y'all want to pretend she didn't happen. Like, So I'm wondering if Ahsoka... I know Ahsoka knew Yoda. She knew the other council members. Yaddle was not on the council by the time of Attack of the Clones, and Ahsoka was like 12 or 13. So maybe maybe she never met her. It's an order of 10,000 Jedi. She probably never met Gettle. Okay. So that's fine. We can erase the female Yoda. That's fine. Whatever. Um, (laughs) That's okay. She's featured front and center in Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. So, Um, but I want to note that like, maybe, maybe only the Jedi masters knew about Grogu. So like, how did Ahsoka know about her? How did Ahsoka know about him? She didn't. She only met him just now through the the telepathy. Telepathy. Do you think that that he communicated to her through telepathy what his backstory was? Yes. That's what that's interesting, stated. and I'd never thought of it that way. Oh, I thought that's that was blatantly stated. Well, like the story that he he I guess tells because he conveys it with images. 
sort of forced images that she says like he he was this and this and he was taken from the temple that's all just like feelings he's conveying because after that it gets very she says it gets dark so she's getting like flashes like an infant would remember right well the, Which, the dark part the dark where she says his memory comes dark is during the clone wars era is what she's after saying. order 66 so right. when the temple falls right somebody we don't know who takes him away from the temple so someone successfully manages to escape the temple with grogu are you ready for my theory who it is okay okay you're gonna hate me for saying this mace windu sneaks back into the oh temple. my fucking god <laughs> oh my fucking god shut the fuck up about mace windu being alive mace windu sneaks back into the temple because he remembers about grogu so after he falls from the building he, he doesn't die um and he goes i have to go save uh yoda's kid because you know he would kill me if he didn't save him and then when yoda comes back to the temple to fight palpatine he goes oh grogu's not here thank god mace windu came back and saved him like so that's kind of what happened that's clearly what happened we are sitting at already our longest episode ever i don't care this is Um, important so i'm not gonna go into all of the reasons i hate the idea that mace windu survived but you do bring up an interesting point as far as probably how grogu survived right because if like you said grogu might be something that's really only known about by jedi masters that they didn't necessarily want to reveal it to everybody in the temple so it was one of those masters only secrets that severely limits the number of people who would have known about Mm -hmm. grogu exactly here is an interesting point though because you know who wasn't granted the rank of master jacosta knew no she was a jedi (laughs) oh okay (laughs) honestly Considering Jocasta New escaped the temple, I was thinking she could have been. It the one, might have been her. That, that would got, make more sense. That got Grogu out. No, right. Anakin Skywalker was not a master. Right. So, if we're going with this theory that only masters knew of Grogu's assist, uh, existence, Darth Vader had no idea that Grogu existed. Right. And, and you'd think that if he did, that would be like major you know bonus points for palpatine he'd be like yeah get that little fucking kid for me like you know because we can train him up like that's not something we're gonna kill that like that's something we're gonna save and we can turn that into an inquisitor right a hundred percent we can absolutely turn that into yoda inquisitor right fucking let's go no that's so for sure anakin did not know as far as masters we know that survived only really jacasta knew yeah, I think was the only one in canon that was a master and obviously Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Yoda. Right. And I almost want to believe too, that even Obi-Wan Kenobi did not know about Grogu because I want to think, I would like to think that even though he was considered, you know, a master or whatever, and he, I just don't think he was necessarily in the loop. You know what I mean? With, like anybody Yoda told a secret to, I feel like it was like very select few people. They don't necessarily dive into like, what is the orientation for being on the council? Right. What is all the secrets that the council tells yeah. you? Do you get the Area 51 secrets when you join? Do, the, do you get you the know, Area yeah. 51 secrets when you join the Jedi Council? 
Right. Because we've never actually seen that process go down. In the Revenge of the Sith novelization, Anakin talks about, like it talks about, it's, it's dubiously canon now. But in that one, Anakin talks about like, when he thinks they're going to make him a master, like literally the first thing he plans to do is go down to the archives and start researching how to save Padme using the texts that are locked to everyone but masters. So right. it, feel, it seems like it kicks in immediately, but I don't know if there's like an orientation where they go, here are all of the secrets uh, that we're not telling you. Uh, by the way, there's an ancient Sith shrine underneath the temple. Right. Although and that then, is... Like- well known because like Padawans go to it in the High Republic but like also I think it it leads credence to the fact that Yoda and Grogu are not not necessarily father and son but they have to be familial like or there has to be some kind of relationship there because if he is a secret and that's something Yoda wants to keep a secret not necessarily like this is my child I don't want anybody to know I had a child but like maybe something more along the lines of like this is my brother this is my sibling. This is like my family member that I'm protecting because we're the only two left. You know, or what I maybe mean? their species, yeah, maybe their species is very rare. But somebody had to give birth to him even less than a decade before the Phantom Menace. Right. So, th- which makes no sense on either, unless here's another random ass theory. There was some way to freeze the child in carbonite and keep him alive this whole time without aging him i don't know if that's a thing but i don't think so like i generally dislike when they freeze things in carbonite uh, mm-hmm. but that's just my interpretation of a line from empire strikes back which doesn't line up with canon necessarily uh so, my... so i'm opposed to that theory but okay well then my only other theory is that grogu is literally a clone well, they like, say or, that or he's a not a, cast. They don't think he's a strand cast. They don't think he's a clone. They they I don't specifically I mean, say that in the first episode, or the like episode three or something. They say, oh. I don't know. Well, that raises a lot of. There's right. a lot of questions that are being raised. Well, that's because that's what I'm saying. Child. Like you can't. If you're gonna say that he was naturally born, it's like then who the fuck gave birth to him? You know what I mean? If they're not a very widely available species. Because clearly we have one, which is Yoda, and two, which is Yaddle, in the whole entire galaxy um, that we know of. And George Lucas was very specific. In fact, um, I'm not uh, Steph from Dark Side Divas. Um, I know. Shout out, Steph. Yeah, if only I was Steph. <laughs> I know Bradley wishes. Right. Uh, but I like to get snide in my dismissal of toxic fanboys. Yeah. Uh, I like to get super passive aggressive about it. And one of the passive aggressive things that I like to do uh, is bring up when stuff that they really like contradicts their purest attitude. George Lucas was very specific that he did not want anything about Yoda species ever revealed ever that he was super clear about this. He wanted it to remain a mystery Uh, Now, it was revealed a little bit in one of the comics for Legends back in the day, but it was part of the reason he didn't like Legends very much. Uh, Sorry, Toxic Fanboys. George Lucas did not consider Legends to be uh, a thing that was worthy of his attention and was outright dismissive of it at times. Uh, But one of his mandates was he didn't really want to see 
anything. So when they brought in the child and had like a baby of Yoda species, which was the third of Yoda species, I'm like, hmm, that's uh, it's going a little more into Yoda species than I think George Lucas would have made the choice to do. Right. Hmm. But so it remains a question now that they've made where does the child come from integral to the story of the Mandalorian that raises the question of how much we're actually even going to learn about this species and how much they're going to stick by George Lucas's original mandate of I don't want to see this Uh, we want to leave it kind of mysterious and I I do hold on to the theory that the the next season season three is going to be the last season of the Mandalorian and that's just my guess I Um, agree with you or at least under the umbrella of the name, The Mandalorian. I think this is the last season of The Mandalorian, in quotations. Um, so whether or not we'll continue with Grogu's story after season three, I don't know. I don't believe so. Um, unless for some reason they decide to do some kind of connection with their sequel trilogy, which is you know something to do with Rey or possibly Finn, and then integrating Grogu into their story to kind of merge the franchises, I'll call it, like, or merge the stuff together. There are, yeah, they have said that this this whole initiative, TV initiative is going to kind of delve into the origins of the First Order and tie the, the original trilogy more directly to the sequel trilogy. Tinfoil hatting for just a minute. There are rumors of a Finn show and John Boyega, despite his criticism, has said that he's not opposed to returning as long as Kathleen Kennedy and maybe J.J. Abrams are involved. So it would be interesting if they were to do a post-Rise of Skywalker Finn show mm-hmm. and have some other Force sensitives be in it. And then we see Grogu after the events of Rise of Skywalker. That would be interesting to see in a potential Fen show post Rise of Skywalker. That would just be something that if they did that, it would be interesting to see. Right. Like him going around and, and finding other force sensitives like himself. And maybe he finds Grogu at one point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. They probably aren't going to do post TROS stuff for like at least another five years. So, right. Okay. Uh, one last note about this scene. Yeah. And then we'll move on. I did check. Den mentions the Empire is gone. I did check. This does take place after Aftermath Empire's End. It takes place about three to four years after the events of Empire's End, I think. So, but it definitely takes place after. So the Battle of Jakku has happened. Okay. The Empire is gone, or it should it. be gone. The First right. Order is forming in the unknown regions and the only empire that's left are the shitty rejects that uh, Ray Sloan and Gallius Rex didn't want to take with them. In the morning, Ahsoka begins a series of tests for Grogu, revealing he has hidden his abilities for a long time in order to survive all these years. Ahsoka claims Grogu's strong attachment to Din makes it hard for her to train him. She feels that it is better to let his abilities fade away. Ahsoka explains she must head into the city and help the people. They then decide to work together to take down the magistrate. I low-key got obsessed with her bracers and went into a Googling hole. 
to try to figure out if we'd seen them before. Uh, she always wears bracers. Like she always wears them on her on her forearms. Uh, but these are not the same ones that she uses in Clone Wars Season 7 and Rebels. Oh. They are different bracers. Hmm. There's a random thing that I researched. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I like to mention the uh, not direct reference but we'll call it a she alludes to Anakin Skywalker in this yeah. conversation. So I've seen a lot of like wild batshit theories, um, particularly from people desperately trying to make the EU happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, guys, it's, it's not going to happen. But they're like, oh, she could be talking about this Jedi. She could be talking about that Jedi. Uh, she could be talking about like, master pants on head or whatever and i'm like guys she's talking about anakin yeah it's it's pretty you're overthinking pretty she's deli- talking pretty about deliberate. Anakin. <laughs> she's talking about anakin yeah she's she literally says i sense a lot of fear in Grogu." like it's like mm-hmm. okay who the fuck else would she be she about? literally echoes and it's yeah. interesting because she has the same reasons for not training grogu that yoda has for not training anakin Mm-hmm. And we see her refuse to train him, a classically trained Jedi. And then Luke, later on, spoilers for the rest of the series, comes in and almost insists that Grogu be trained. Right. And it shows so, their their difference in their, not their belief system, but the way that they feel that the Jedi should operate or the classic training versus the... The classic training versus Luke's kind of unusual visionist training (laughs) right luke is trying like luke is in this unfortunate position where he's at uh, and we'll talk about it more when we get to the final episode where he has the responsibility of being a jedi and being the only jedi but doesn't have the training necessarily because he's trying to emulate the old jedi order without really knowing how the old Jedi Order operated. Right. And as we will see, this may be part of his disillusion come Rise of Skywalker, not Rise of Skywalker, come Last Jedi, where he's like, uh, the old Jedi Order and the way they did things fucked everything up for everybody. (laughs) Where he gets this mentality into his head partially could be that he was trying so hard to be them and the actions he took to try to be them were a contributing factor in why his new Jedi order fell apart. I don't know. There's a lot to look at with the comparing it to Ahsoka and how she treats Grogu in this episode. Yeah. She, the whole scene is about the attachment issues. Yeah. And highlighting Grogu's attachment issues to den and explaining you know he doesn't want to give the rock up that's the first big red flag mm-hmm. she's like okay send the rock back he didn't want to give the rock up one he didn't want to listen to her so how is she going to train him if he's not listening to her he only listens to den but then that also highlights that he has more of an attachment to den because he will actually listen to him throughout this little scene din is like very impatient he doesn't have the patience that would be required of say like just a a master to train him right so like which he which he's not obviously he can't train Grogu but it's just interesting that he has no patience whatsoever he's like 
he holds out the rock or whatever and he's like take the rock and then Grogu kind of like looks at him weird and he's like see look he can't do it like I do find it really funny Ahsoka's line about how uh Din's like oh no he he doesn't understand what you're saying and she's like he does oh he understands oh he, he understands just want, he just doesn't, doesn't want to do, do it right which is funny because that sheds a light on let's jump back to all the other episodes whenever anybody has given Grogu a command or even or Din in matter of fact been like hey don't eat those eggs hey don't do that he a hundred percent knew exactly what Din was saying and refused to listen to him he got upset because he was told no right yeah I speaking of of good Ahsoka lines uh her line, uh, I like first because good or bad, they're always memorable, is such a fucking Ahsoka line. Yeah. So, so good. And Dawson's delivery of it is like channeling Ahsoka so well in this sequence. Well, I also like how we've, we're getting like, you can delineate the difference between Clone Wars Ahsoka and clearly like, now I'm, I'm not going to say Jedi Master Ahsoka, but you know what I mean? Like experienced Ahsoka, we'll call it where she has this totally different viewpoint and lifestyle. Like she has a different like view on the world when she's post leaving the Jedi versus before. And I like how her character has stayed consistent in that fact. We'll talk in the final sequence about her relationship with the word Jedi throughout this episode. But the point was raised all the way back in Rebels that... And it, it's now better to talk about that we have the duel. Mm-hmm. We have the duel and we have Ronan, which I will be reading when it comes out. But so we have that as a point of reference because she is a Ronan in, in what she's drawing from, which is one of the reasons I, I love her so much. Right. Uh, because a Ronan, in terms of Japan, Sengoku era Japan, and a little bit afterwards. A Ronin was a masterless samurai. So put on my history nerd hat for a minute. Sorry, Aaron, uh, you're not here. I have to do this part. So a Ronin was a masterless samurai. Traditionally, samurai would have, uh, they would work for a local lord. They would be sworn to that particular lord. They would work for him. Uh, That was their whole deal. If they were not necessarily lords themselves which I think in some cases they could be. I'm not necessarily a student of Japanese history. I think my boyfriend would probably be a better person to ask, or I have, shit, I should have asked my other friend about this before he recorded this episode. God damn it. Maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll ask them later on to explain this to me. But the point is, a ronin is a samurai without a master, and they sort of wander around. Now, the actual ronin in history <laughs> were mostly bandits. Uh, because samurai were not great guys. <laughs> However, the Kurosawa films portrayed the Ronin more as these sort of wanderers that we see in the short The Duel in Visions, where they're wandering around, uh, begrudgingly doing things, kind of the lone gunslinger. That translated to the lone gunslinger in Westerns. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka, when she leaves the Order, becomes more of a Ronin, uh, as seen in the Kurosawa films where she's kind of wandering around, doing good things, helping people out, generally being cool, but she's not beholden to anyone. So 
that's sort of how she's portrayed through these sequences and the relationship that she has. Uh, I have genuinely forgotten what led me into this tangent on what a Ronin is, but but there we go. There we there go. You go. That's that's what she is. She's a Ronin. Gotcha. Uh, but it's also interesting that she's like still abiding by the Jedi way. Right. Especially in how she's echoing Yoda here. There's there's a lot to unpack with this sequence. Well, and I think if you compare it to the Visions episode too, I think the difference here, right, is that Ahsoka is an ex- jedi versus in the ronin or i'm sorry in the duel um it is i i don't know if it's implied or if it's just theorized that the ronin is a ex-sith person who is now kind of going on his own kind of journey of i guess redemption we'll call it um right so that will it's be kind further of like the explored. opposite yeah that'll be further explored in ronin which I've heard is very good, uh, but I haven't at time of recording read it yet. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw that on Amazon the other day. There's like that uh, bonus book that comes with that. Um, yeah, so they, we'll they expanded the duel out and it's literally called Ronin. Nice. Um, and we'll talk about when we talk about visions, how some of these visions episodes theoretically could be longer form either shows or right. books or whatever. I found it interesting she said it was better to let his abilities fade because a big deal is made so much about we have to train people because mm-hmm. they're Luke makes the point again spoiler, uh, Luke makes the point later on that he has to have training. It's necessary for him to have training whereas Ahsoka is like oh if he's not trained his abilities are just going to fade away. And maybe right. that's better. I'm like, do abilities just fade? What What is happening here? Well, Luke, did you read a book? I think I think what they're implying, right? It's not necessarily that like you your abilities will go away like indefinitely. Like for example, like you you lose your. I think it's just a sign that like you lose your connection with the force. You lose the ability to like use telekinesis and all that bullshit. So I think it's like the the longer you don't or if you don't train in the force, you will just be a regular person. You might have a slight connection to the force. Like you might be able to feel things or you might be able to whatever, but you won't be able to like heal people with the force. You won't be able to use telekinesis. You won't be able to use your Jedi senses or whatever to like remember stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you won't get visions. You won't do all that stuff. The seekers are finite. So they can't get every person who's force sensitive in the entire galaxy. There's all sorts of theories and things about like other, there's other people running around who clearly have the force, but just weren't trained. Uh, Jen Erso's mom, Lyra Erso. That's a great example. Very strongly implied in the novel Catalyst to be at least slightly force sensitive. Right. So there's also a, a theory that Han Solo is force sensitive. And that's why he's such a good pilot. I, I don't agree I don't with like that, that theory, but like it is one. worth bringing up. Uh, I don't like that one, but I like the idea that you theoretically in this universe, you can be force sensitive, but if you're not properly trained, you're just yeah. an exemplary being. Like you can, you know, you, you have some ability, but it's not like 
you're so hardcore trained that you can murder people all the time and like you can do stuff (laughs) (laughs) anakin like if if they had refused to train anakin uh and for or anakin had never been found he just probably would have been an unusually gifted pilot right and that's what have ended up happening to him like his his skills would have honed into that specifically Mm -hmm. it raises a lot of questions about like what would have happened what well yeah what like what happens to people who aren't who are force sensitive but don't get found by the seekers right like do they wind up being in fact not to bang on about the high republic again but they do actually have a character named zine in the high republic adventures who wasn't found by the seekers because her group specifically that she lives on that she lives with on her planet they think the force is bad Oh, okay. Uh, They are anti the force and she is force sensitive, but she's always had to hide it. So -hmm. she was never found by the seekers when she's makes friends with the Padawans of the star hopper and they bring her back to starlight beacon. The masters are like, well, she's too old to be trained as a Jedi, but we will let her hang out with the Jedi and do some basic training just to figure out how to basically use it, channel it, sort of because she it's manifesting in such a way. Like she stops a falling like chunk of the planet at one point. So she's clearly very powerful, just raw ability and connection to the force. But so it's something that other media has explored, but not really in the visual media. Right. If you don't read the books or the comics, you really haven't seen instances of force sensitive people. Unfortunately for Bradley, who doesn't know how to read, uh, he's missing out on all this. So I have to patiently explain it to him later. It's okay. He has way more of a social life than I do. The last note that I do have before we move on to the next scene is uh, I find it, this episode makes a big deal about exact words. You need to read the terms of the contract, hire a lawyer. Because what he says is, is not, I will do it. I will help you if you train Grogu. He says, I will help you if you make sure that he is trained. And she's like, okay, scrutinize that contract a little bit better, Din. Maybe draft a, get a lawyer to draft it for you because she's ultimately going to use that to get out of training him. As Ahsoka begins her attempt to take down the magistrate with the help of Mando, they defeat some mercenaries and assassin droids. Ahsoka begins her duel with the Magistrate and successfully disarms her. Meanwhile, Mando also has a showdown with Lang, ending with the Mando's quick draw. After the fights, Tano demands that Elspeth give up the information on the whereabouts of her master. So the A35 or A350 rifles that Mando mentions, not a reference, uh, but I did find it interesting that A300s were used on Scarif. so the rebels were using precursors to this type of rifle. HK-47 or HK-87 uh, droids, on the other hand, are a fucking hell of a reference <laughs> that I, I'm sure even you probably caught. I'm going to explain it to you. Anyway. I was going to say, I, I was going to You're looking I mean, at I me could, blankly like, I should I could, I could go on and be like, yeah, I know exactly what it's from, but like, you're going to say it anyway, so you might as well I'm go I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, HK-87 droids are a very obviously obvious reference to the HK series assassin droids from Knights of the Old Republic, and in particular, uh, HK-47, the best character in those games. 
Assassin droids, I did some research. This is the first canon, I think, HK units that we've seen. Uh, so this is the recanonization, although assassin droids are very prevalent throughout Star Wars. They come in a lot of different forms. Triple right. Zero from the Dr. Afra comics counts as an assassin droid, as well as BT from those same comics. We see assassin droids used in um, Attack of the Clones uh, by Zam Wessel. Uh, IG-88 and IG-11 are both assassin droids. So assassin droids are a big thing, but this is the first HK droids. Now, this is what const does constitute an Easter egg. Okay. Because painted on the side of the HK-87 droids' heads is the emblem of the Seventh Fleet. And if you know about the Seventh Fleet, you immediately figured out who Morgan Elspeth was working for. If not, they will tell okay. you later on in the series. Right, right, right. But that is an actual Easter egg that you can see the logo of the Seventh Fleet on their hell on their heads. Oh, uh, okay, okay. See, I didn't catch that because I, you know, I wasn't like super fine combing, you know, like other people who watched this show. You can say me. You can just say me. But no, but that is an Easter egg because that did reward people who watched Rebels and stuff who were like, I know what that is. That's the Seventh Fleet logo uh, under the command of a certain... Grand Admiral. I think it's worth noting, too, that in the beginning of the episode, she says, you know, tell me, you know, where's your master? Who's your master? And then they keep bringing it up. But like, we never really know who she's talking about until the very end. Um, I thought so it was for Palpatine. Per- really? Either Palpatine or Snoke. Uh, mm. We will also cover that this is not the first Snoke theory I had about Mando season two that turned out to be wrong. Right. But I had thought that it was leading to like a Snoke because what's going on is whoever she's working for, they are building a fleet. Uh, she was a shipbuilder. Gotcha. During the time of, of the Empire, she stripped worlds bare and constructed fleet ships for the Imperial Starfleet. They specifically mentioned the Imperial Starfleet which is a term that somewhat fell out of favor in Legends, but canon has used several times to refer to uh, the actual fleet of ships that they have. So whoever it is that she's working for, we will find out later in the episode, is constructing a fleet, uh, which I thought might be the fleet on Exegol, uh, but I guess not. I guess that fleet was constructed prior to this. I don't know. So that's what's... An interesting thing with the, the HK droids. Uh, Bradley, you will learn all about HK-47 when you play Knights of the Old Republic for the Switch. Great. Uh, which is coming Can't out. Wait. You will learn why he is the best best character in those games. I love the bit where Den's like, oh, a Jedi and a Mandalorian working together. They'd never see it coming. And I'm like, at the end of the first season, he thinks they're like a race. Yeah. Like, he doesn't understand that they're, like, an order. He just knows they're, like, the natural enemy of the Mandalorians. So I just thought about that. So up until this point, did he think that all Jedi look like Grogu? I think so. I think the implication is at the end of the first season, he thought that all Jedi look like Grogu. That's fucking hilarious. Just to, just to point out, I think that's like really Like, he funny. assumed that there was going to be, like, a planet full of little Grogu's right <laughs> And like somehow they all like hated Mandalorians. Like so all little baby Grogu's running around were all like, ew, I hate Boba Fett. Like <laughs> so I found it super interesting that uh, Ahsoka does a move where she pulls the blaster mm-hmm. out of the guy's hand with the force, 
which is an exact move that we've seen Vader do mm. in Rogue One. But then she lets the guy go. Right. Whereas Vader, when he pulled the blasters away from the rebels, he just murdered them all. Um, to bring up that, not not murder, but she does technically destroy the bell or whatever it is that they use to sound the alarm. God, and that's such a fucking cool shot when she's standing there and it's it's in two pieces and she's just kind of like, honestly, icon, legend. And I don't mean to jump ahead, but there's a, there's a scene at the very, 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 very end where Ahsoka and then the new um, mayor of the town guy, um, they're just kind of walking back into the town together. And I thought this would have been a perfect part where Ahsoka would have been like, sorry about your bell. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause it's his town back or like he, get, he either gets it back or he's now the appointed mayor. Um, I just found it funny. Like governor. I kind of want- He's the governor, governor. is. I kind of wanted her to say like, hey, sorry about your antique bell that I destroyed. Like, you know, that's clearly like, uh, you know, an heirloom to the city or something like. Oh, my goodness. I thought it was interesting that they pulled a reverse of the usual trick. So Mm -hmm. you would expect that the plan is going to be Mando comes back and makes it look like he killed her. And she just she pops out of somewhere she uses the distraction to get in but they actually pull the reverse of that where she walks in and makes it look like she killed him so that he can get the drop on them and she Mm -hmm. like lures the guards away so that mando can free the guys in the cages i thought that was interesting that that's a reverse of of what we expect right from this plan Hmm. i also thought it was funny that she had the high ground for most of the fight Yes. Proving that she's superior to Anakin in every way. Uh, I did like that. She immediately went to the high ground. Anakin, take notes. That would be Obi-Wan's influence on her. Did you catch the loath cap? Yes. Well, I, I was just looking, I'm just looking now looking it up because I was trying to see, like, is this a loath cat? And apparently, loath cat is a subspecies of the actual uh, cat that it is, uh, which is called it's a like tuka. a tuka cat. Tuka cat. So oh yes. Te- so oh, technically, yes. technically, yes. this is just a this is just yes. a tuka cat. Um, yes. Because I'm low so, cats I'm are so good only on Lethal. I'm so good and clever and. Well, I think the difference is shit. the um the the one that we see in uh the sanctuary episode is actually colored like a loath cat. So theoretically, it was brought from Lethal versus this one. I think is a little darker. So just a reg- a regular tuka cat that just happens to be i i'm just not shocked that it's in a dave filoni episode i'm just like i wish we would see more of them actually because i love them um and i kind of want dave, it's one of dave filoni's signatures is it, the loath cat will be in here somewhere right and i love seeing them live action because they're adorable and they're like their proportions are wrong like their heads like giant and then their arms are skinny like i love the proportions like i think they look so much cuter in like live action than they do like when they're edit like in the cartoons so i want to see more so hopefully uh that's literally the only note i have for all these action sequences is look there's a love cat (laughs) (laughs) that's okay i have tons of notes i have a fucking a fuckload of notes so good we're good we're good on that (laughs) i got the notes covered um i want to talk about I will say real fast that when I when I go to Galaxy's Edge in November, because I'm going to Galaxy's Edge for the first time in November, 
Mm -hmm. uh, when I go, I will see if they have any stuffed uh, stuffed Tuka cats. And they see probably if they're will. there. Well, you you got to take a picture of the one that's sleeping inside one of the gift shops. We we will thoroughly document for our social media. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do without wishing to reveal what our catalog for the rest of the year is. Uh, we will do a full episode on my visit to Galaxy's Edge. Nice. We have already put that on the calendar. I fucking love the shot where she like pops up behind them and draws the lightsabers, but she like does it in such a way that it looks like they're like being drawn from a hilt, mm. like from each other, where yeah. she's behind them and like she pulls them apart and it looks right. like they're drawing out of each other. It's just such a fucking cool and inventive shot. So correct me if I'm wrong. This We've seen this before though, right? This is like her signature move. Mm -hmm. It's one of her signature moves, okay. but it's so cool to see in live action. Right. And then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. I don't have a note, but I do want to talk about, it. I'll talk about it here, I guess. Okay. One of the turning points in the duel is she actually flips her lightsaber around. Mm -hmm. So she's holding them like they're She's holding them quote unquote up. And there's a whole big thing of her in the Clone Wars and particularly in the Forces of Destiny short about her accepting that she's at her best when she fights her particular way. And it's holding one of the lightsabers in a reverse position. Right. And when she loses one of the lightsabers in the duel, she actually turns the other one around to the reverse position. And you can feel a tangible change when she does this. Right. But and I, I remember looking this up too, because uh, this particular one is called her Shoto lightsaber, which is just, it just means short. Um, yes. It's, it's another Japanese influence that right. a lot of times samurai would, would carry around their main blade. And then they have a shorter Shoto blade that they would right. carry around with them. It's worth noting that um, the only other person I think that they talk about or at least show um, in the series itself would be uh, Yoda has his regular lightsaber. His regular lightsaber is a Shoto lightsaber because he's so small. <laughs> <laughs> right. I want to talk about how Dave Filoni does dual lightsaber duels. Because mm -hmm. this one's really interesting. We're not going to dissect every fucking minute of this duel. Right. Because we're literally sitting at, at unedited uh including breaks that we took we're sitting at two hours and 14 minutes <laughs> by the time we got to this okay but i think it's interesting that when he does a duel and it's a, a very meaningful duel like this one sometimes he will do this thing where the negative space in the duel is the the tension is from there so the way that this duel is is when the shots are on Elspeth and Ahsoka, a lot of it is them sizing each other up and kind of pausing and seeing who's going to strike first. Who's going to strike next? What are they going to do? When we cut out to Lang and Mando outside, we can hear the duel taking place in the background. So we see a lot of the between sizing each other up, but we jump away for a lot of the duel. It's very Return of the Jedi to me. Mm-hmm. Like when the duel starts between Luke and Vader, it cuts away and it cuts back and they've been dueling for an uh, indeterminate amount of time. And they like 
they don't show a lot of the duel on camera. They show a lot of the talking in between the fight. <laughs> well, I also but, think that that part with Lang is funny too, because like he's he's just sitting there listening. He's just kind of like, all right, who's winning? Who's losing right now? I hear they're a lot having of like a clang. spectator duel. Yeah, they're like, I have a lot of cling clang. I hear it. Okay. Oh, sounds like she's getting the upper hand. Okay. And then you only know it's over when you quote unquote hear the Beskar spear drop on the ground. So he thinks that that by that point that oh looks like you're side one. So I'm gonna just gonna I, quit. Like <laughs> I love how Lang and Mando's duel quote unquote duel is intrinsically tied to the Ahsoka and Elspeth duel. Right. To where they're not necessarily fighting, they're having a standoff to see which side is going to win. Mm-hmm. And the implication being that if Elspeth is one, uh, Lang would have like tried to shoot Mando immediately instead of trying to pull the fake out. So that's just a, it's an interesting yeah. sequence that they did where they, they're almost like having a spectator duel. Mm-hmm. They're fighting by watching. Right. Uh, I also know that Ahsoka basically won this the second she got to the courtyard. Um, yeah, like the second she got there, I think Elspeth knew, like, okay, this is this is pretty much over at this point because I if she can get past all my assassin droids, my ex-military security officer guy, and then my, you know, all the guards and stuff, and then still get to me, like, because at this point she thinks she's by herself. She doesn't know about right. Mando. So she's like, okay, shit, like, it's over. Like, I just need to defend myself as best I can, but like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up. But like, at the same time, it's pretty much over. There's almost points where it seems like she's gonna get the upper hand and then she just kind of doesn't. Right. Well, I think they do that by making the lightsaber go in the koi pond or whatever. mm -hmm. There's that sequence. There's a bit where she kind of aggressively goes in with the Beskar spear and it almost kind of feels like, and then Ahsoka counters, like pushes the dynamic of power back. Right. Uh, I found it interesting that the episode opens with Ahsoka in the forest, and the whole episode is her moving from the forest to the inside of the courtyard. Like, but yeah, that's that's something. Let's jump ahead and talk about uh, the revelation of who <laughs> yes. exactly. Elspeth is working for which if you've if you recognize the seventh fleet emblem and you know what Ahsoka was doing at the end of Rebels you kind of already put together but she explicitly spells out uh, that she is looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn now the reason that I noted Mm -hmm. that this takes place after Aftermath is during the time of Aftermath, Ray Sloan is the only Grand Admiral. Okay. That she became Grand Admiral basically by default. There was no one else to take control of the fleet. So it begs the question of where has Grand Admiral Thrawn been and what is he doing? So... I have mixed feelings on this because obviously like if we haven't already stated this before, like this was clearly this whole entire episode was a backdoor pilot for the Ahsoka show. Yes. It's another fucking backdoor pilot. So, but it was done the correct way. Whereas the entire episode was focused on being a backdoor pilot versus a scene at the end of the episode. 
which because when you get when you get a backdoor pilot traditionally in like a procedural show what they'll do is they'll have the the cast of the current show meet up with the cast of the new show that they're backdoor piloting right. uh, and they will solve a case together right and then they will go their separate ways which is very much what happened in this episode exactly. the mandalorian showed up he teamed up with ahsoka they solved a case together and then they went their separate ways and i so in that regards, I don't necessarily mind the name drop because they are trying to set up clearly some kind of plot for the Ahsoka show. However, I think that would have been served better if they had hinted that it was Grand Admiral Thrawn. Like, not explicitly saying his name, but... Like I needed, I don't know if there was any other way to do it, but I just kind of almost feel like I wanted them to make it so that you had people on Reddit and Twitter and all that stuff be like, oh, she's fucking talking about Thrawn. Like that's going to be Thrawn. I mean, they did that anyway, but like in a way that we weren't, there was no confirmation. these things fucking exploded. Right. Well, I also said at the outset, you know, a hundred thousand years ago when we started recording this episode, I said the one thing that I would have changed was I would have removed this line. And I would have left it ambiguous um, mm-hmm. using the Seventh Fleet logo and the fact that she's a shipbuilder. Right. I would have left it ambiguous. But I get it. You have to spell it out for the audience explicitly because it is important for the Ahsoka show, knowing going into it, if you didn't watch Rebels, right. that she's looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. It's interesting because it feels like with this and the Mandalorian that they're building up to their own kind of Thrawn trilogy where Mm -hmm. he comes back. So in the Thrawn trilogy, he like builds a fleet and attacks the new Republic and they have to beat him. And it's a whole thing. I feel like they're going to kind of do that again. That's what this whole thing is building up to that. Thrawn is out here. He doesn't know about the first order. He's doing his own thing. He's kind of making his own first order. <laughs> He's kind of making his own first order. Like he does, right. either doesn't know about the first order or he knows about the first order and he thinks they're dumb, which is also a distinct possibility because right. one, one theory is that he might've gone back, found his way, him and Ezra might've found their way back to the Chiss Ascendancy. So mm. it's possible he might've learned about the first order, but yeah, I think I, they're I, setting him up as the big bad of this whole thing. Like it's going to culminate in something involving Mandalore. Yeah. And he's going to be there. Maybe he's going to try to take Mandalore. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it would also be good to like, because like, I do think they are kind of building up, especially with the, so if if what we know is true, um, the Ahsoka show, I believe is just a mini series. So it is just its own one season. Limited, limited series. Limited series at this point in time. Um, That being said, that means they're only trying to tell one story. So whatever that one story is, right. which I believe is just a sequel to Rebels, right? Is just, let's finish out what we set to say at the end of Rebels. Let's finish that story. Really give it an ending, not just an ambiguous, like, what happened to Ezra? What happened to Thrawn? Like, no, let, like, here's a flat, like, no, this is what happened to Thrawn. This is what happened to Ezra. That's what the Ahsoka show is going to do. Right. Yeah, lead, lead that, that into, into a, the sequel trilogy. Right. And honestly, even 
leading into the sequel trilogy, once you have Thrawn and we tell that story with Thrawn, I do believe that they can now go backwards and do the Thrawn books and make that its own show. And you can do like a quote unquote younger Thrawn show and then have You just that fucking want your thing. Imperial Academy show so bad. I know. And it would be so good um, because it truly, no, I mean, especially if you have all these really cool characters that they have established that are in the empire and give them like space to breathe and like you know i love anybody everybody loves villains right but if you take villains and you make them likable then they're even better i think that's like one of my favorite things that people do in any kind of fiction or tv or anything it's like for example the cruella movie you take a perhaps a character who is originally a villain and then you make them the hero of your story. That's when it's a good story. So I think with Thrawn so far, he hasn't been the quote unquote hero of the story. He's just a villain. And I want to see well, him as the hero. He has, if you've, I mean, the books, there's an interesting thing with Thrawn and the folks over that do RuPalp's pod race they touch on this a lot more than we do because a lot of them have read the Thrawn books. Right. And a lot of them are super well-versed in uh, the Thrawn, the whole Thrawn thing. But I've also read the first three. I haven't read any of the Just Ascendancy books. But there's actually some debate about the portrayal of Thrawn in Rebels versus his portrayal in the books. In Rebels, he is just an out-and-out villain. Right. He is, a, he is a villain in that story. Whereas the novels portray him as being more of an anti-hero. Yeah. So he is a fascist who does believe in, like, preemptive strikes. But uh, he is portrayed as being a little more sympathetic and a little more understandable in the books so now i have my own takes on (laughs) his characterization Mm -hmm. but it is something that has made him very memorable and very liked because even if you look at legends he just people forget this he very much was a villain in Mm. the thrawn trilogy the original yes he wasn't just going around murdering his guys but that was supposed to make him scarier, not more sympathetic, because he was competent. Right. He didn't have the problems. It, the idea was, oh, we have this new villain to face. By the way, he's a different type of villain from the ones that we saw in the films where he's actually competent and he's actually, she treats his men well. He uses them to the best of their potential. That's supposed to make him scarier. He oppresses the Nogri and continues the lies that the Empire told them. He does bad things throughout the Thrawn trilogy. But when you go back and like look at some of the prequels, like Outbound Flight, he's portrayed much more sympathetically in Outbound Flight than he is in the Thrawn trilogy. So even kind of saw that. So there's always been sort of a disconnect when we talk about this character of sometimes he is an out and out villain. Sometimes he's more sympathetic. It's interesting that they've chosen him to kind of be the the villain of this era. Yeah. And I think it's because, well, one, he is, like you said, he's just a memorable character. And uh, I know you hate this, but 
he is essentially that save the cat villain or character whereas you give him an, a limp and an eye patch he is blue <laughs> so he's already like a thing that distinguishes him from all the other characters he's blue he's got blue skin mm-hmm. um and red eyes so uh, he's already memorable design right so yeah. visually visually he's already memorable like there's nothing that's like oh he's just another imperial officer like he's not just some white guy who's like walking around so he's already because that's all the imperial character. officer at least in at least in legends we will clarify right, in, right. in legends other than like one case in admiral dalla they they were basically all white guys right and, yeah canon like, has canon has given us some some a little more diversity in the now imperials they let, now they let ladies be imperial yes <laughs> congratulations uh the lgbt's and right. the ladies and the not white people can also be space fascists of course equal so, rights yeah. although i do i I have said before, I do like how both the Resistance and First Order in the sequels are fully integrated. Uh, We see people of multiple genders and multiple races portrayed. Right. Although I will say they don't have any alien people in First Order, right? There's no, I haven't, I don't think there is. Uh, not to my knowledge they're all human not to my knowledge i think they're all human i think they're continuing the empire's speciesist okay yeah because as far as i know in all of canon thrawn is the only non-human in the empire right correct uh and this was a big deal in legends too uh but like and i just reread the thrawn comic like he faces a lot of alienist discrimination yeah. Yeah. and racism because of he's not human. Right. So we see this a lot in like, especially in his Imperial Academy days, uh, but continuing on, he has to face that on his journey up to become a grand admiral. Which is again, why I think an Imperial Academy show oh would be so God. fucking good because you can address these issues of like racism and speciesism. Like, I don't know, it would just be so, and then relate it to modern, you know, current topics, topical stuff today, which would be so great. Um, anyway, moving on from Thrawn. Moving uh, on we, from Thrawn. Yeah. Because we're going to talk about him up. for another 45 minutes. Yeah. That blew up like the entire fucking universe. Uh, when I was going to say. It was <laughs> a thing. If we uh, thought that uh, Bo-Katan dropping, name dropping Ahsoka Tano in her episode was going to blow up the internet, Ahsoka Tano name dropping Thrawn. <laughs> this blew the fuck up. Oh uh, my god. They really want to moving on. Uh moving on. Yeah, to let's something move on. else. After the defeat of the magistrate, Ahsoka presents Din with the Beskar spear on behalf of returning it to its rightful people. Later, she reminds Din that he is like a father to Grogu and refuses to train him, but tells him to take the child to the seeing stone on Tython, where other Jedi may come looking for him. The ship takes off and departs Corvus as we see Ahsoka walk off into the distance into her own miniseries. <laughs> so I did check. The Beskar spear is not the same spear that uh, your favorite character from the sequel trilogy, Captain Phasma, uses. Damn. At least as far as I can tell, it's not the same spear. That would be Hers interesting, is though. made of Quicksilver, but I think it would be interesting if they retconned it into being the same spear. I think it would be well, at least in, I think it would be more interesting because then it's that whole, 
you know, Luke's lightsaber journey. Like what, how did it get there? You know what I mean? So it would be interesting mm-hmm. to see how Phasma comes across the Beskar spear if if they went that direction. Yes. How did she get it? Uh, right. Did that tie into, did the First Order get it from Mandalore somehow? So right. I think they should retcon it to being the same spear. I personally. 100% think they should do that. Uh, I loved the bit where Den was like, it's time to go, time to say goodbye. And I'm like, bitch, you're on episode five of eight. That kid is not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> like, calm down, sir. Check the episode listing. Uh, Ahsoka mentions the planet Tython. Mm-hmm. Now, a sort of split Tython uh, up, and I'll, I'll talk about where Tython comes now, and then I'll talk about why Tython's portrayal is con- was controversial amongst uh, fans of multiple canon media. Um, Tython was an intro in a fucking episode filled with name dots. Tython was one of the most exciting for people who were fans of legends in legends. Tython was the original birthplace of the Jedi order. Oh, now in Canon, that's Octo, which is the yeah. Island we see Luke on in the sequel trilogy in Canon uh, or in legends. It was actually Tython and in the video game, Star Wars, the old Republic, which I'm not currently playing because I'm currently mad at it. It instituted a battle pass system. I think that's fucking dumb and stupid. And I do not like being compelled to log into a game every day. Uh, (laughs) Whatever. We're not going to do an episode on why I'm complaining about Star Wars The Old Republic right now. But in the Star Wars The Old Republic, uh, the Jedi Temple has actually moved to Tython. Uh, So it is the actual planet that you start out on when you're playing a Jedi character. So depth steeped in a lot of legends history. Its portrayal in the Mandalorian is slightly controversial, but we will get to why next week. Okay, cool. A little taste, little, little taste, taste of the future. So there's your history of Tython. It's it has ties to the Jedi as far back as legends. Okay. I find it interesting, and I've teased several times about Ahsoka's relationship with the the word Jedi throughout the episode. Hmm. Several people identify her as a Jedi, but it's noted that despite the episode being called the Jedi, Ahsoka never refers to herself as a Jedi, nor does she seem to identify with that or respond favorably when people refer to her as one. So when she says with that whole exact words thing that a Jedi will come looking for him, but there's not that many Jedi left, it's very clear that she does not consider herself one still to this day. Right. She's still that just force user category. Like mm-hmm. they, she doesn't see herself because really the only person who refers to her as a Jedi is Elspeth. In Elspeth refers to her as a Jedi. And then Den kind of treats her like one. I don't know if he refers right. to her as one. I don't think so, but it's interesting. Or he just assumes she, she is one. Yeah. She never identifies as such other people identify her as a jedi but she never identifies as such also shout out to ludwig uh, gorwinson's music uh he works the ahsoka theme into this scene as well mm, nice the last thing i want to bring up is there's concept there's some neat concept art at the end of this episode mm-hmm. uh there's a piece of concept art with ahsoka Rather than using the white lightsaber, she's using one blue and one red lightsaber. Oh, interesting. 
I thought that was an interesting piece of concept art. Now, in the episode, she's using the white lightsabers for Rebels. Right. But in this episode, uh, we see some concept art of her using one of each, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. We also see one that looks like Grogu either making some plants grow or communicating with plants. Interesting. I don't know what that is. Uh, And then there's also a piece of concept art where she appears to be wearing the Ahsoka the White robe. Right, I saw that one. And I thought that was, because that's, uh, I think, depicting the scene where she's talking to him telepathically. Yes. So I I, I liked that because I was like, oh, we kind of didn't really get to see that. I wanted to see, because that's the last time we see her in, uh, well, I guess technically the last time we see her is in the last season of Clone Wars, but... um, well, I know, but I'm saying in right. terms of timeline-wise in the real world, the in last the real time world, the yeah, last yeah. time we see her is in right. Well, no, this is the last time we see her. Clone Wars came out before this. Oh, that's what I mean. Well, I mean the white. Um, the last time we see her in the white is actually in the end of Rebels, correct? Not correct. the end of Clone Wars. At the end of Clone Wars, we see her in kind of a brown ish like outfit that she wears in this episode, I think. Uh, it's, okay. I think it's the thing that that Den destroys with the oh, yeah, her like weird cloak thing that she has. Her on. like cloak thing. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm 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 sad we didn't get to you know have you know Ahsoka the White uh, <laughs> walking holding around, out for but... the Ahsoka series. Right. Ahsoka the White. Let's go. Uh, yeah, she didn't have her little staff or whatever she has in the end of Rebels, but um, yeah. Episode ranking. Um, let's get into that. So you said this was your top. Yes. So currently my ranking is number five, the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, well, episode five, the Jedi. Then right. episode three, the heiress. Uh, episode one, the, um, the marshal. Two, the passenger. And finally, four, the siege. So again, I have the same exact ranking, which is funny that we like are so in sync on this. In season. sync on the like, yeah, like what's what, what we consider either not necessarily good episodes, but what we consider like the correct order of you know how we determine whatever is good. Um it's also worth noting that our top four episodes are the ones all named after ancillary characters, not just a random event. Again, that is interesting. Maybe maybe we like it best when the Mandalorian is involved in someone else's story. I, you know, but that's why I'm thinking that like if this next season is the last season, I'm not going to be as heartbroken that the show's over because it's going to be delving more into other characters getting their mm-hmm. own TV shows, which are more not. I don't want to say more interesting because Din's story is very interesting. I just think that. Bo like so Bo Katan's story is more I I want to know more about Bo Katan's story. Like I want to know more about Ahsoka's story. I want to know more about the Marshall's story. You know what I mean? Like there's other uh, I love well you can characters. always read aftermath, the aftermath Never trilogy. Life, like that. But um <laughs> but that's like again why I I'm very excited for you know Book of Boba coming up, not because it's about Boba Fett, but because you have characters like Fennec Shand in the show that we're going to get more about because when we were talking about um, Fennec showing up in Bad Batch, you know, we got to see more of her and be like, hey, or get to like theorize more about her story and like more about her. So I'm kind of hoping that like 
Book of Boba especially, you know, expands on that. And I hope that these future shows that they plan on doing uh, about these secondary characters really like expand for us, like, and just really get to get, get in there with them, you know? Yeah, and it's nice that they've sort of picked this time period kind of after the Battle of Jakku, but before the Resistance stuff really kicks up. Mm-hmm. So they've picked this very nice unexplored time period to say we we really didn't know what was happening a lot during this time. And mm-hmm. a lot can happen in 10 years. Right. So it, it, I am interested to see Book of Boba Fett poster and release date. This was some news we didn't cover. Book of Boba poster release date and synopsis all dropped uh, at time of recording it this week. And I commented on it on both Facebook and Twitter, I said something like, I'm, I'm opposed to the concept of this show, but I could not be more hyped for this show. <laughs> right. And part of the reason that I am hyped is exactly what you said. I'm looking forward to seeing more of this time period explored uh, and see what's going on with the criminal. It's interesting because you look at the different shows that they said, Mandalorian deals with the Mandalorians. Ahsoka deals with the kind of Jedi mystical stuff. Book of Boba is going to deal with the criminal underworld. And then Rangers of the New Republic was supposed to deal with the the New Republic. Whether or not that'll happen or whether or not they'll retool that in some form, hard to Mm -hmm. say. Uh, But it was different aspects of this all kind of looking like it was going to culminate in this major event that they're planning for. So I... As far as backdoor pilots go, this was a really good one. Right. Uh, I It definitely, like, when they announced the Ahsoka series, I was able to draw from my positive experiences watching this episode and go, yeah, I could watch a whole series of that. Mm-hmm. Or a limited series of that. Final thoughts. I just, you know, I think that it took a second for people to get used to Ahsoka not being Ashley Eckstein, but now that you know, we've gotten to see Rosario Dawson in the role for at least 30 minutes at a time. You know what I mean? Versus just rumors floating around of her name as yes. being the casting person. It's easier to accept the person as the role if you can visually see them doing it. And so I think that now that we've seen her, we've gotten to be with this character for the past 30 to 40 minutes or so. I'm happy with the choice of casting i'm happy with the appearance the costume the live action take on it i now i'm really excited to see other cartoon you know dave filoni characters between this and bo katan it's it's just an exciting time for characters to make their transition over and so i'll be curious to see what they do with grand admiral thrawn uh, and with uh, if the rumors are be be- to be believed, uh, Ezra as well coming into live action. I would like that. I will. My one last note though is that uh, we talked about like the one thing that you would change about them name dropping Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think the mm-hmm. way you could have circumvented that was have some kind of um, like we did in the last episode or the siege episode where you have Gideon or not Gideon, I'm sorry. You have Dr. Pershing doing like a voicemail essentially, right. On a hologram. Theoretically, they could have done a 
hologram of Grand Admiral Thrawn from behind. Like we don't see his face, we just see the silhouette of him, and we know that it's him. And then we can have the voice actor speaking as him, so we know that it's him even more so. And then yeah, I don't know if they cast him. If if rumors are being to be believed, Lars Mikkelsen is going to be returning to the role, but I. I don't know if that, I don't think they'd cast him at this. Well, point. that wouldn't really matter because you don't have to show his face. You would just do the voice. And then the voice, you can kind of like be like, well, it was a hologram recording voice, you know? So versus the live action, you know what I mean? Like you can make that, like, if you want to be like really technical, be like, well, it wasn't him because it's not the same voice actor. Like, you know what I mean? Like that would be my explanation for having it without saying his name is what I would try to do. You can also have, there'll be a situation later on where I have a sneaking suspicion if they bring a certain character from the finale back, mm-hmm. that he's going to be played by a different actor. Right. And we'll so get we into that have, when we do that last episode. We'll but, get yeah. into that when we get into that episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I agree with you. I think that's exactly what they're going to do. Um, but we'll see. Um, so do you have anything else for this episode? I do not. Let's run the socials so that... Uh, we can get out of here (laughs) all right sounds good thank you for listening to gold squadron gaze did we forget something email us at gold squadron gaze at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at gold squad gaze and you can follow us on instagram and tiktok at gold squadron gaze subscribe to us on youtube at gold squadron gaze where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. With the help of Mando, they take down... See, why did I say take down twice? Ah, God damn it. Okay, hold on. As Ahsoka begins her attempt to take down the Magistrate, the group... Ah, God damn it. Okay, hold on one second. I had it right. You have one job, Bradley. I know. I hate when I do this. Hold on.